So we are beginning week four. Holy moly. Week four of our study on anoint thine eyes is a study on vision, going through 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at these character attributes that God has told us to do what to? Add to it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Add. All together now. Add to our faith. All right, good. So hopefully you guys have been learning something. The last two weeks we covered virtue. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I have a lot of the review already on the intro. So without further ado, let's take a look at top of your study sheet. The last two weeks we've seen that the first building block of adding to our faith begins with strength, bravery, and moral goodness, otherwise known as virtue. However, virtue that is only virtuous part of the time with an impure motive or based upon our circumstance is not true virtue. We spent a lot of time exhausting that through all of the passages, looking at virtue, looking at strength and bravery. God's very, very clear on the matter. But if we've deceived ourselves in this regard, we need to anoint our eyes to see the true state of our need for Christ before we can go further in our study. And honestly, you're going to see why here in a second when we read verse 5, but if you're still struggling with just the ability to do the right thing, on a daily basis in your walk, if you're still struggling with that, the rest of this series is going to be moot to you. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be rote. It's going to not have any effect unless you take care of this first one. The reason for that, well, let's just go ahead and look at verse 5. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And look how the Holy Spirit stirred Peter to write the rest of this. And to virtue knowledge. He repeats himself, and he does it with the other seven characteristics. You know what that shows? That everything we study, everything we looked at last week, flows and builds upon everything that's coming out for the next couple weeks. To virtue, add knowledge to your faith. And to knowledge, add temperance, as we'll see in the next couple weeks. These are building blocks. You can't move on to the next one unless you nailed down the previous one. They flow right into it. You can't have one without the other. So if you're still struggling with that, take some time of self-reflection as we're going through the notes today and then re-listen to this message later on this week so you can begin to start adding knowledge to your faith. Because otherwise, it's just going to be nothing. It's just going to be words to you. In our walk with Christ, it's step by step. It's a day by day pattern and basis. And we can't just add all these things at once. And we can't pick and choose which ones we want to add to our faith. They flow one right into the next. That's the pattern he's established here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Back on your outline. If you've deceived yourselves, anoint your eyes for the true state or our true state of our need for Christ before we can go further in study. To those who are ready, to go deeper in our pursuit, we take virtue, and in point number one, to virtue, add knowledge. Now, we talked about knowledge in the intro to this class, well, four weeks ago. Uh, you're in chapter one. Look up to verse two here. Peter begins this letter, this introduction, again, writing to servants who have a like precious faith, and he says, grace and peace, verse 2, be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What are those things that pertain to life and godliness? 
What is it He's given us that pertains to life and godliness? The gospel. The gospel and the, in verse 4, for the context, Sam? Well, verse 4 kind of hints at it. Where do we find all things that pertain to life and godliness? Is it me? Do I give you all things that pertain to life and godliness? The Word of God. The Word of God. Thank you. It's the precious promises. But look how he concludes verse 3. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, that this form of the word knowledge in verses 2 and 3, it's the form of the word that we most commonly use. Oh, I know Him. I know her. I know the stats of the Cleveland... <coughs> Guardians. Whew, that was hard to say. I know their stats. I know what their roster is going to be coming up here. I know what my grades are. It just basically means to recognize, to discern, to acknowledge. It's the common usage of the word know. This is different. What he's talking about, jump back to verse 5, when you add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge, this is a different form of the word. And letter B... This form of knowledge, it is the meaning, that it means to act, sorry, the act of knowing in a deeper, more personal context. You may know a lot of things about somebody, but do you really know them? We may know a lot about the Bible, but do we really know the Bible? We may know a lot about Jesus. Do we really know Him? I'm not saying, are you really saved? I'm saying, in your daily walk, as you hear from Him in the Word of God, and we kind of touched on this Wednesday, are, is it just mere devotions, or do you hear from Him? Is He speaking to you? Do you know God's heart? Do you know what His likes and His dislikes are? What does he communicate with you about? Do you see how this is a little bit more personal than, oh, I can tell you about all seven dispensations that are found in the Bible, uh, nine if you count eternity past and eternity future. You see the difference between, oh, I know these details versus, no, I know what grabs the heart of God. And he communicates these things with me on a regular, daily basis. I know what He wants from me. I know what He expects of me. And I communicate with Him on a regular basis. That's the difference. That's the difference. And I have a couple verses up here that kind of, where do we get that from? What is that? How does the Bible define it a little bit deeper? Matthew 7.23, Jesus says, And then will I profess unto them, I never... What? knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is at the great white throne judgment where all of those who never received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're like, Lord, didn't we do many things? Didn't we go witnessing at the mall? Didn't we invite so many friends to church? Didn't we go to church every single Sunday? And he's going to look at those people one day and say, I didn't know you. I didn't have a relationship with you. You never wanted to seek me out and call upon me to save you. Jesus knows our in and outs, but have we ever given Him the time of day? Have we ever entered into that personal relationship for salvation? 
And then John 10, 14, 27, I love this one. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, check this out, and am known of mine. Go ahead and add verse 17 on your study sheet. I added this late after the study sheet was already printed out. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I what? Know them. And look what a servant does when he hears from God. When a servant knows what is expected of him from God because he has the vision and sees where God's leading him, they follow me. That's what we're talking about here. Not just knowing about the Bible, not just knowing about God. No, knowing Him just as well and as personal as you know your best friend in this room. Just as well and as personal as you know your mom and dad. That's what he's saying, add to your faith. Make sense? So let's look at this a little bit deeper. Number two, a servant that does what's right, virtue, needs to grow deeper in their walk with God. We need to grow deeper in our walk. We need to grow deeper in knowing Him. And let it ray on your outline. This kind of hunger... The Bible says in Matthew 5, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's natural to us at first when we first get saved, wasn't it? When you first got saved, didn't you just have this innate desire to want to just please God all the time? To want to just obey Him? To want to be in your Bible and to hear from Him and try to know everything possible that there was to know about the Bible because you wanted to obey Him? Remember what it was like when you first got saved? It's very, very natural to have this kind of knowledge to want to know Him deeper. But, on your outline, it takes work after a while. After all, I mean, 2 Peter 1, what we're looking at, He's telling us to add to our faith. That's on us. The impetus is on us to work on that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, solid, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the what? Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what happened to each and every single one of you the moment you got saved. At that instant, the light shone in your hearts, the darkness of your hearts, and it gave you this renewed knowledge of who He is because you entered into a personal relationship with Him. It's natural upon salvation, but I also have on there Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. What's the significance of that passage? Let's start broad. That chapter. Church history. Church history. All right, so now we can look at the verses 4 and 5. That seems pretty early on in that passage. What church period do you think it's talking about? For those of you who've been here with us on Wednesday nights, Ephesus. What was the main condemnation that Christ had against the Ephesus church period? They left their first love. They left Jesus. And if Jesus is called the living word, they not only left him, they forsook this book. They stopped growing and hearing from God. It's very natural for us to hunger for the things of this book when we first get saved. 
But as time goes on, and some of you who have been saved for a little bit longer than others in this room, you know what I'm talking about. It gets a little bit harder to have to keep working at, at, at growing and at knowing Him and not just doing our Bible devotions as duty or doing it because, well, I have to. It's how I've been trained in this church. I have to read my Bible. That's how it starts. That's how it probably started with Ephesus where eventually what they loved to do by reading their Bible eventually turned into a have to. I have to do this. I have to come to church. I have to go to discipleship. I have to serve in the kids' ministry. When want to turns into have to, be very, very cautious. We're in dangerous ground. Sometimes it's not so natural. After a while... God expects us to start putting in some effort to the knowing Him side of things. Now, how does that work out practically? Well, when you think of the word work, does a verse come to anybody's mind? Kendall. Second Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study not to be ashamed. Well, how could I be ashamed? Uh, what does 1 Peter 3.15 say? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to what? Give an answer, Give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Yikes, that might be very, very applicable and practical here in another, let me look at my watch here, another three hours from now when we're at the mall. And we might get a question. We're like, oh man, how do I answer that question? This is a toughie. Um, don't really know. And I get it. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes people ask those really off-the-wall questions where it's like, not even I know the answer. I'm like, I got to check that out. But hey, let me have your number so I can call you later and I'll give you the answer and then we can talk further about this. That's the tactic you can use. But I'm talking about the basic things, things that we really should know if we're growing in our faith, we're walking with God, and we're adding to our faith the things that He's called us to do. Study. It does take work to study this. Understand, we're not talking about Bible reading. We should be wanting to read our Bibles every single day, but there comes a point if we're growing... We need to add to our faith knowledge. And that form of personal knowledge has to come through Bible study to some degree or another. So in point number one on your outline, take Bible reading deeper and more personal, which is the definition of knowledge, through Bible study. You guys know what's significant about Acts 17.11? says that there were a people group there called the Bereans, and they searched the Scriptures daily whether the things the preacher was saying was true or not. That's the hard attitude they had. So how are you doing with this? It's huge. Some of you guys may be great and stellar at reading on a daily basis, but when was the last time you started digging in and studying the Bible not for head knowledge's sake, not to have all the right answers to make and appear super spiritual to your peers. No, 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 no. 
Because like last week, like the last two weeks when we covered virtue, just as there's a pure heart attitude and a pure motive for virtue, and there's also the wrong heart attitude and there's the wrong motive and circumstances for virtue, it's the same thing with this. You can study your Bible to try to amass all of this knowledge, but if it's not taking your walk deeper and more personal, then it's not adding your faith true knowledge. It's just adding to your head, head knowledge. Do you see the difference? So how are we doing? You know, I guess if I think about it, you know, we just got done, well, goodness, I guess a quarter ago. You know, Stephen was teaching you guys on the heartbeat of evangelism, and Bobby was conversely on Wednesday nights teaching you on the practicalities of evangelism. So I guess if we could use that analogy here, how long ago was it that Stephen taught how to study the Bible? Did many of you guys go through that class here? Was it like just last year he did it? No. Was it a while? Two or three years ago. <gasps> Maybe we'll do that this summer. Huh. Heather, take mental note of that. Okay. So for those of you who have not taken how to study the Bible, that is a fun class. It really is the practicalities of how you can actually go about doing this. So to put it in the analogy, think about all the practical ways that Bobby was teaching you guys on Wednesday nights of how to witness. Today's message is more the heartbeat behind it. Why study? Why do we study aside from just adding to our faith knowledge? So here we go. Number two, here's how it starts. This is how it starts for me. And here's how it should start for you. Number two, you want to set apart your time and your heart. We already talked about 1 Peter 3.15. We always, we always reference that verse as far as, man, you want to be ready and make sure you answer everybody so you're not ashamed. But how did that first part of that verse start? Sanctify, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does sanctify mean? Set apart. Set apart from something, set apart unto something else. Set apart your time and your heart from the world, from the cares and the weights that easily beset you and the sins, and set apart your heart and time unto Christ. It has to start there. You know what? Someone turn over to Exodus 24.12. I didn't have this down there, but I think you guys should see that. We're not going to turn to 1 Peter 3. Someone, Sam, flip on over there real quick to Exodus 24. Everybody else flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sam, let me know when you're there. there. All right. We'll give some people time because I want everyone to hear this. Everybody else is going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, Sam, go ahead and read Exodus 24, 12. Everyone pay, or listen up real closely. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. I think I stole that from Stephen, actually. It was when he was going over the heartbeat of evangelism, where he says, Come up unto me. God's calling down to Moses. He says, Hey, come up into the mount. In other words, be with me. Come away from everything else. I know you got a lot going on this week. I know that school really bogged you down. I know that so-and-so said that thing and it really set you off card. I know that. God knows everything. He even knows what you're going to face this week that you're not prepared for. I love it. 
Nothing surprises him. Even so, he's like, look, leave all of that down at the base of the mountain and come up here with me. Leave all that down there. We'll deal with that as we go. But it starts first and foremost, before we dig in, setting apart time to study and making sure our heart is ready to hear from him. Again, if we miss this step, the rest of the steps are going to be completely null and void. And it's going to be useless. And honestly, it really should start here even for Bible reading. Even if you don't have the time to dig and do some of the practical stuff we're going to look at in a little bit. Even if you don't have the time to do that. Just reading, setting apart your time and your heart. Making sure that you're not having to rush out the door, otherwise you're going to be late for school. And so let me get my quick two verses in real quick here in 30 seconds and call it a day. We need to make sure we're setting time apart. And we need to make sure that our hearts are prepared. Again, a lot of distractions. A lot of things can distract us from hearing from Him. But I love it. God reaches down to Moses, who He wants to have a relationship with. He wants to impart this knowledge unto him, where Moses can know more of who God is. He says, it has to start with you coming up here to me first. You have to be willing to meet me where I'm at. And I'll give it to you. It starts there. So how are you doing with setting apart time? How are you doing with setting apart your heart? Are you too distracted with what's going on when you come to read your Bible? I get it. It happens. But we have to prepare ourselves to leave that stuff at the base of the mountain as we travel upwards. Number three. After we do that, we want to meditate prior to prayer. Now, is that some kind of monkish thing where we're sitting uh, ap uh, crisscross applesauce on the floor, you know, saying our ohms? No. No. Actually, it's really cool if you check out what the Bible has to say about meditate. I, I put down a passage there, Genesis 24. The significance of that chapter is when Isaac sends out his servant to find a bride. and ends up being Rebekah. And I love it. In verse 63, it says that the servant, of course, finds Rebecca and he's bringing the bride back to the husband. Again, a picture of us. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus is our husband. And one day, the servant, the Spirit of God, is going to usher us into the presence of our husband. And we are going to be married with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation but in verse 63, you know what Isaac's doing? It says he went out to meditate in the field, in the land. He was meditating. He was thinking upon where he was and what's about to happen. Meditating. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Again, he's already set apart his time. He set apart his heart. Now he's thinking on things. We'll touch on a little bit here how we do that. But 1 Timothy 4.15, I love it. This is a New Testament thing where Timothy talks, or Paul says to Timothy, meditate upon these things. You know what the context of this is? The things he mentions, it's reading, it's studying, it's doctrine. You can't learn doctrine of the Bible without studying it. He says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Why? That thy profiting may appear to all. I love it. Attendance to reading, to doctrine. And he even says after this, those who continue therein, you're going to save yourself from a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of heartache, he says. You can check that out later. 
So what do we meditate on and how is it? So we're just thinking on things and we're just giving our thoughts over to, to thinking on these things. How do we do that practically? I have some bullet points here that'll help you. The first bullet point, you meditate on what he's currently teaching you in the word. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, discipleship. Meditate and think on what you're also reading in your personal devotions. What's God been showing you lately? What God been working you on lately? What have you been seeing? You know, Joshua 1.8 he says to meditate. The book of the law of God should not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate therein day and night. Be thinking on what God's already showing you again throughout the week. Second bullet point. You meditate on the work He is doing and has done in your life. Psalm 77, 12 says, Meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. If God's working in your life, you should be telling others about it. Lost and saved. Encourage your brothers and sisters with what's going on, with opportunities you've had, with something He shared with you in the Word of God, with a meeting you had with somebody, a discipler, a leader, somebody. Share those things with others. Talk of His doings. Meditate on these things. Do you know what God is doing in your life? All things to consider. Not only what He is doing, but what He has done. That's where Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Muse means to ponder, to talk out loud. Out loud. And then last point. Meditate on the status of your heart currently. Boy, heart keeps working its way into our blanks here. It's almost like that's the heart of the issue. <laughs> Another pun. Gotcha. Another pun. <laughs> Meditate on the status of your heart currently. Man, I stinking love Psalm 4.4. Check this verse out. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. What does Selah mean? Rest. Rest. Have you ever had moments, if not, make sure you do this, where you're just laying on, bed, on your bed or on your couch, complete silence, the phone's off, TV's off, no music, nothing in the ear pods, nothing at all. You're just laying on your bed and you're just thinking. It's usually best at the end of the day because you get to think on, how did today go? Did I make God look good today? Did I trash His name today? Did I do something that just took the righteousness of God and just ran it right into the dirt and the mud of my sin? How did I do? What did God show me? What opportunities did I have today? And you're just laying on your bed thinking, no distractions, nobody in your ear, nothing you're constantly thumbing through and scrolling through and seeing. You're just still. Anyone try that recently? I'm telling you, you will be amazed as to what God speaks to you even in that. What you'll find when you finally have... Things are so noisy. These sorts of devices and music and mood, they're just so noisy and they're just such distractions that when we actually have complete and utter silence, you'll be amazed at the things that God starts bringing to your heart because you're thinking about it.
Pay attention to what things you start thinking about in those quiet moments. You'll know where your heart's at. You'll find God starts bringing things to the surface you didn't even know were there. Because we're meditating. Sorry, study sheet got turned aside. We're meditating. We're thinking on these things. I love it. Psalm 63, 6 says, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee. Verse 8, he goes, When that happens, my soul followeth hard after thee. It almost has the connotation of Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the heart, the deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. When shall I come and appear before God? Because your heart is hungry and thirsty to know Him more. Because as you're meditating on where you are in life, when you're meditating on what God's been telling you and showing you, when you're meditating on what He's doing, you will crave to know Him more. And you will want to know Him more. Like that deer craves and is thirsty for water. Do you see how this is already different than just waking up in the morning and opening up our Bible and reading a chapter? This is already different. This is setting the stage for going deeper, for adding to your faith. So, number four. After you're done doing that, you meditate prior to prayer. Now, you pray prior to reading. We're in 1 Corinthians, right? I need a reader for verse 14. Chapter 2. Ethan. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now you might be thinking, Corey, that didn't mention the word prayer or anything of the like whatsoever. Hear me out. The reason I threw that verse in here is because when I first started discipleship with Pastor Jay in the senior high, I had only been walking with God for about two, three months then which means that I had only been reading my Bible on a consistent basis for about two to three months. And I remember asking, I was like, Jay, I'm still struggling with knowing what does the Bible say and, and knowing what God is actually communicating here. And, I, and there are some passages I just don't get. And he gave me this, this uh, verse here and he told me, he's like, you know what, Corey? He's like, number one, go slow, just read slow. But number two, don't forget, this book was written by the Spirit of God. This is a spiritual book that needs to be understood in the power of the Holy Spirit. In our state, in our fleshly state, as men, as flawed sinners, we can't know this book apart from God helping us. That's why, he said, because of this verse, I always start every single Bible reading or studying time first in prayer. Never crack open this book without praying first. Because we need His help to know what it is that He wants to speak to us. This is a spiritual book. It needs to be spiritually discerned. Otherwise, we can't know Him. So prayer prior, pray prior to reading. Uh, can I get someone to turn over to Matthew chapter 6? Dustin, Matthew chapter 6. So pray. And the other thing that's very significant about prayer, it's kind of like 
meditating or even just studying in general, you want to make sure that you have a place that is all ironed out that you can do this. Again, free of distractions if possible. If there's a certain time of day where no one in your family is at the dinner table, go there. If you have a room all to yourself with a desk in it, go there. Find a place that you're able to have this because, go ahead, Dustin, verses 5 and 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, and they may be seen of men. Hmm. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So when you're pr when you are to pray, where are you to go? According to what Christ said, a closet. And he uses it to contrast what the Pharisees and the hypocrites were doing back then, where they made sure that they always prayed openly. They made sure that they were always seen by men for their prayers. And they had other things where they were very self-righteous and very external so that others can see how spiritual they were. But he says, I love what he says in verse 6. No, don't be like the hypocrites. In other words, hypocrites never pray in secret. If you don't have time where you are devoting to prayer quietly and personally, you're living hypocritically, Christ said. That's pretty intense. We need to have times where we are in a place, a specific quiet place. Christ said the closet. It's this confined area where no one else is around. It's this confined place where no distractions are that can distract you and draw you away from what God's wanting to show you. We need to have time like that where it's quiet, where it's personal, where it's free from distraction. And understand the place, it's known by the enemy. What do I mean by that? If you want, write down John 18, verse 2. In John 18, Christ is going with Peter, James, and John to the Garden of Gethsemane. What is He going to the Garden of Gethsemane for? To pray. What does He challenge His disciples to do? To, pray, to stay and watch in prayer. To pray with Him. You know what verse 2 says in John 18? And Judas knew the place. The enemy knows the place that you have that is free from distraction, the quiet time that you have where God can really speak to you, where God can really impart the truths of the Word of God to you, the enemy knows and he will do whatever he can to try to rob that and take you away from that place just as he took Christ away from the garden. The place where they were to pray. Whether it's sleeping in, whether it's... oh. All right, got my Bible study tools up on my phone. Oh, I got a few snaps. Oh, I got a few Instagram notifications. I'll just check those first because I'll just, that way I can get clear the notifications won't be distracting. And then hour and a half goes by and you got nothing done. The enemy knows the place. He wants to take you away from that place. Be cautious. So after you've set, your part, your, set apart your time and your heart, after you've meditated and then you've prayed, now we come to point five. You are to now... Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. 
That's literally what Isaiah 34, 16 says. Proverbs 3, 15 says that we are to seek for wisdom as, for, as though it is precious rubies, as though it is hid treasure. It requires you seeking like you're a treasure hunter. It requires you digging. It requires you working. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, A workman that needeth not to be shamed. It's very, very easy and work-free to just read your Bible. It takes labor to dig into this book, to dive deep, and to continue to study therein. And what do you do after you seek it out and you read? Number six, cross-reference what, what you sought out. Cross-reference what you were seeking. Look at verse 13. If you're in, for still in 1 Corinthians 2, can I get a reader for verse 13? Kendall. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, teach it, but, with, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Spiritual things with spiritual. The things that the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we just saw in verse 14 that the Holy Ghost teacheth this book. Because you can't understand this book unless it's spiritually discerned. So you need to go to what the things the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Uh, turn over to Isaiah chapter 28. He's actually quoting something here or referencing something that's found in Isaiah chapter 28. How do you compare spiritual things with spiritual things? Well, it's the process known as cross-referencing. It's looking at similar verses that are tied into the verse that you are currently looking at. You compare what that verse says with another verse found elsewhere. And we're literally doing that right here with this very verse. So if you want to know what verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 2 means, let's compare what he says spiritually in Isaiah 28. Can I get a reader for verses 9 and 10? Carson. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept and Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. I love it. Even verse 9. Whom shall he teach? What's that word again? You want to add knowledge to your faith? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? We just saw in 1 Timothy 4. If you want to know doctrine, you got to study for it. You have to dig for it. And he says, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. In other words, it's not for newborn Christians. You need to grow and mature and grow up in your faith if you want to be able to take this next step. That's why I said at the very beginning, if you're not already adding virtue to your faith, everything here that I'm saying is a waste. Precept upon precept. That's another word for the Word of God. You compare precepts, Isaiah 28, upon precept, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you compare line here upon line over here. And then here a little and there a little. So what's the most fundamental way that you can do that? Anyone who's actually studied their Bible here, how do you actually do that? Comparing Scripture to Scripture. What's the most simplest way to start? <laughs> well, if you're actually using a tool, Blue Letter Bible, yes. But I have it there on your outline, actually. 
Maybe there's a word that you're reading and you have absolutely no idea what that word means. Like I said, it's why I'm kicking off this study every single week looking at a definition of the word. Look up the definition. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, Strong's Concordance. See what that says. Next page. So you got that word and you got the definition of it. Now, the second bullet point, you check out where else a word or phrase shows up in Scripture. There's a tool called the Strong's Concordance. Again, if, you're, if this, some of this is over your guys' head, my plan for next week is I actually want us to actually practically go through and check this stuff out. I have no idea how it's going to work. I've never done anything like this before, so we'll see. But we're actually going to go ahead and do some of this stuff live, probably even break up into groups. And I'll show you guys some tools and some neat little tricks we can do using, again, Blue Letter Bible is a great app. You should already have it downloaded on your phone. But you'll find something there called a strong concordance, or you just simply search, here's the word that I'm interested in, where else, what other line, what other precept does this word show up elsewhere? And see how God chooses to use that word and define it throughout the Bible. Make sense? That's what a concordance does. It shows you, hey, everywhere this word, everywhere this phrase shows up in the Bible, there it is. You're comparing. Here's what it says on this line, and here's what it says over on this line. Here's what this precept of Scripture says, and here's what this precept of Scripture says. Is there a connection here? And fundamentally, this is what we do with all of our study sheets. In main service, on here, you get two or three verses that match up, and you see how they go along with the rest of the message. And the third bullet point, look at cross-references for the whole entire verses. There's something on there called Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Again, if you're able to search for that, on Blue Letter Bible, you'll be able to find it. It works differently with iPhones as it does uh, Androids. So we'll try looking at that next week. So do some digging. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Compare Scripture with Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, spiritual things with spiritual. And then when you do that, number seven, mark what you cross-referenced. Everyone turn over to Jeremiah 23, and can I get someone to turn to Ezekiel 44? Somebody else. Sam, Ezekiel 44. Everybody else, Jeremiah 23. Mark what you've cross-referenced. Write it down, in other words. Sam, loud and clear, as, or Ezekiel 44, 5. And the Lord said unto me, Son of man, mark well, and behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears all that I say unto thee concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord, and all the laws thereof. And mark well the entering in of the house with every going forth of the sanctuary. Alright, follow along with me. 23, verse 18. Jeremiah, for who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath what? marked his word and heard it. Mark down. Write down what you saw. Write down what God is speaking to you. Write down what you are learning. If not in your Bible, because I know some people are weird about that. They don't want any markings in their Bible. It is okay to mark in your Bible. But if you're not, at the very least, mark it in a journal so that you can come back to these things because is what you're going to start finding. The more verses that you start having that line up and that compare spiritually together, you'll start finding, man, 
there's like this theme that's going on here that God is kind of building and I'm learning it and I'm adding to my faith knowledge. I might actually be able to share this with somebody else. I might be able to lead a Bible study at school. Huh. So that's why you want to mark it down. And then you hide what you marked. Number eight, we all know this. Hiding God's Word in our hearts. Notice it doesn't say memorize God's Word in our heads. And then lastly, point number nine, apply and live what you hid in your heart. Thank you. Jeremiah 15, 16. Oh, I want to turn there and look at it, but we won't for time's sake. Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. He consumed what God was speaking to him. It was a part of his being. It was in him. That's what we need to do with the Word of God. It needs to work its way throughout our entire lives into our daily activities. Thy words were found and I did eat them, he says. James 1.22, Be ye doers of the Word and not what? Hearers. Hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And letter B, this needs protected and guarded against every opposition. Because whether you realize it or not, this is what the enemy is attacking every single day. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the what? Knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hey, that sin you struggled with this week, that thought that you had against somebody or something that wasn't pure or right or good this week, that thing you said to somebody that hurt their feelings, all of that is to attack the knowledge of God. All of that is to attack you going deeper in your walk and knowing the heart of Christ more. That's why you struggled with it, to hinder that, to keep you from going further in your walk. We need to guard and protect that every single day. Look at the bullet point there. It's so vital to our walk that Peter's last words in all of the entire Bible are a charge for us to grow therein. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, like I said before, like virtue, adding to your faith knowledge can be done with the wrong heart motive. When it's done with the wrong heart motive, it just becomes head knowledge. So application, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Who can we see that exemplified this? Who can we see that modeled this? First Samuel chapter 3. Verse 1, follow along. And the child, who? Samuel, ministered unto the Lord. He was a servant. Remember, Peter is speaking to servants in 2 Peter chapter 1. He ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Check this out. There was no open... What? Anoint thine eyes. If you lack these things, you're blind. 
You're not going to have open vision. When I think of open vision, you know what I think about? I think about the Word of God being openly preached and taught regularly. There was no open vision back during this time because the priests and the men of God were completely lazy. And they stopped adding to their faith and they stopped growing. In those days, there was no open vision. And mark it down. Those days might just be coming here. Who knows how crazy things are going to get in this world system? So here's the key takeaway. Stop relying upon Sunday school, main service, and Wednesday nights and discipleship for your main area of growth. It has to become personal. If the only way you're growing and adding your faith is just what the teachers or your disciples are showing you, man, if the doors come, or if the time comes when the doors are closed to this place and America is being invaded from Canada, no. We find ourselves in very harsh times. You might find yourself with no open vision on a Wednesday or Sunday. You may find yourself in the ability not to meet with your discipler. How are you going to grow? How are you going to grow? We know the story with Samuel. He said, Speak, Lord. My servant is listening. He prepared himself. He set apart his heart. Verse 10, The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Man, letter A, stop relying on vision to come openly. Letter B, when we let God reveal the deeper things of His Word, we will grow in our faith. Look at verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And as a result, verse 21, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself in Samuel and Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We're going to grow. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, Corey, I don't have any time to study. I have barely enough time just to read. Mix it up. Read throughout the week and on Saturdays and Sundays do your studying. Maybe you're struggling as is to read. Okay, put a pause on reading for a little time and just start studying something. Or, let's just say you read for 30 minutes a day. Cut it in half. Read for 15 minutes a day. Study the remaining 15 minutes. Pick a verse or two from what you read those first 15 minutes and study that verse or two for the next 15 minutes. We need to search the Scriptures daily to grow and add to our faith knowledge. Let's pray.